Are you ready to bring your real estate game to the next level? My name is James Prendamano. I'm the CEO and founder of Pre-Real. And over the past 25 years, I've closed over a billion dollars in transactional real estate. Each week, I'm meeting with outstanding investors, high-performing individuals, and visionaries operating in the real estate space. These are the people that are actually out there in the real estate game right now getting it done. This podcast aims at bringing anyone's game to the next level. This is the Pre-Real Podcast. Welcome, everyone, to the Pre-Real Podcast. Uh, we're joined today by Michael Porsche. He's got two main companies, folks, that we're going we're gonna to talk about. Uh, he's the owner of STR Legacies, LLC, uh, which is essentially a, a consulting um, business that brings folks through the uh, the short the short stay or the, sh- the short term rentals the Airbnbs and coaches people up on how to acquire find invest in and and make them profitable and manage them of course and then escape and stay which is the management division if you will uh, of of his portfolio and some investor portfolio so Michael thank you very much for joining us today it's a hot topic excited to have you on the show awesome yeah glad to be here man I'm really excited to uh, dive in. Yeah, let's do it, baby. Michael's having a, a crazy day, and, and it's, it's funny. Before we got on, he was he was doing all the things that I was scrambling to do before I got on. So it's, it's good, man. It's good to be busy. I love it. Um, look, we're, we're finding a lot of folks are having that moment of clarity that it seems generations before ours, Michael, didn't necessarily have. Um mm. You know, it, it seems that folks in generations past fell into their career, whatever it was, and they got up and they went to work and they did what they were supposed to do, what they thought they were supposed to do. There wasn't much room for coloring outside the lines, if you will. And I feel like uh, today we're seeing uh, a lot of folks trading in uh, and hanging up what they were doing before and pursuing other passions. Um, a lot of reasons that that could be, I think COVID certainly has, has played a role in that. A lot of us has, have had the time to revision what we really want. I think coaching has had a lot uh, to do with that, but you're not uh, excluded from that group, right? Your passion was you wanted to be a firefighter. Is that correct? That's right. That's correct. So can you walk the audience through uh, how do you make a leap from, you know, a firefighter to a, a passion for, for real estate? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a pretty easy one, I guess, to answer because it's definitely my life. Um, so I will start with a little bit of background, um, that background. And just to emphasize on what you said in regards to we're coming from a generation that believed in working, essentially coloring within the lines of what they were told. Um, and a lot of that was work your nine to five, put your money in your 401k and, and essentially work that direction and you'll have a great life. Well, back then, the industries that were involved took care of their people really, really well. Um, not to say they don't now, but it's just more of a it was the job opportunities was a lot more there and you didn't have to work as hard in order to be home with your family. Um, so that had a lot to play, to play with it and to add on more to that coming from my parents, my uncles, my grandfather, like everyone essentially came from that kind of work life. You buy one house, you do this, you work this, you know, this kind of number, and then you retire at 65 or 70 and 
you know, you hope that that makes enough, but sometimes that doesn't work out. A lot of times that doesn't. So it was my dream to get back to my story, um, to, to be a fireman since I was a little kid. That's all I ever wanted to do. That's all I ever lived and breathed. Um, I, I had the opportunity to make that dream come true when I turned 25. Um, I worked in the 911, essentially the 911 industry in general for about 10 years and worked as a fireman for the city of San Diego as a firefighter paramedic for about five. Um, and that was definitely a rewarding, fun, loving career. And the reason why I, I stuck with it and ran towards it was due to in my mind, it was a job that was able to provide for my family um, and give me enough time because essentially I was only supposed to work 10 days out of the month um, and give me enough time to be with my family, to support them um, and to have time off with them and as well invest in, in, and do ministry. Um, so that was like essentially what I was really excited about for that career. I thought it was even that was considered maybe a little bit outside the box. But when I got into it, I got married, still was working fine. Then we had our first daughter. And at that point in time, we always, always made a, I wanted to make a decision essentially to say, to give my wife the option to work, you know, um, you know, so that she could be a mother. And that was something my, my mother did not have the option to do. So it was really big in my life. I wanted to make sure I gave her the option. So I worked a lot in order to support ourselves in Southern California in, in San Diego in order to, to, you know, essentially just to make that happen um, to the point where I was, you know, not only that, but we're also a little low staff, but I was working anywhere from 20 to 25 days out of a month in order to make that happen. Um, but what was bummed about that was when I got home from work, a lot of times I got, I got ran like, you know, working 24 hours. Um, but we get to these certain scenarios where I'm coming home, I sleep for five hours and I'm giving my family, my wife and my daughter, the worst of me because I'm tired. I'm, you know, I'm grumpy. I'm just trying to survive. And so it, it was like, this isn't, there's gotta be another way. And so a friend of mine, he gave this book to me, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which a lot of people have read within the real estate community and what kind of gave them the vision. And that's what it gave me. It gave me a vision to see that, you know, you can get passive income from real estate and there's opportunity through there. And so that started on the path of like, hey, there is another way. And that kind of what is what was the start that got me from thinking, I'm going to work my nine to five, my dream job and do this until the day I die and retire um, to Hey, I can, I can have, I can have other people essentially pay, pay for my lifestyle um, and for what I want. So um, rich dad, poor dad, I think is, is, is the single most impactful book. I don't think I've done a single show where rich dad, poor dad has not been referenced as part of a, a pivotal part of the journey. Um, yep. What an unbelievable book. Um, can't seem to figure out why financial literacy is not part of core curriculum, why this isn't something that we're teaching in the schools, um, you know, from the youngest of ages, uh, because it really is transformative. It really is stuff you don't learn anywhere else. Uh, and it also had a profound impact on on my life. It was part of my journey too. So, you're you're in this uh, the hustle. You're you're trying to to do what you think is the admirable thing and give the opportunity for mom to be a mom. 
and I applaud you for that because yeah. uh, yeah. I know that 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 some sometimes is not well received. But uh, I did the same with mine, and I could tell you it was the best decision we ever made. Um, yeah. So. Where does the real estate passion come from? How do we, how do we, you know, there's a lot of places to go. There's a lot of things to do, right? There's a lot of hacks out there today. Yep. There's a lot of uh, ways to make money, side hustle, Gary V, whatever you want to call it. Yep, why yep. real estate and why the short-term rentals? Great question. So, I mean, ultimately, it, it, it re- the initial reason that brought me to it was more for, um, I kind of fell into it as a concept that, Hey, this could actually work. Um, but why I stayed with it and why it really helped and why real estate in general is because I have a very specific certain goal in mind. Um, my goal is so that I can create one cash flow to replace my expenses and replace my income, um, two generational wealth. So I can build upon wealth and multiply it through loans and through real estate that I can utilize for other vehicles. Um, and so these like really essentially real estate and short-term rentals are just one of the best vehicles that allow me to do that. Um, especially with what can be paired with them. So I had the envision, the original idea was to combine business and real estate together. My first whack at that was assisted living. And assisted living probably still is a good vehicle, especially in this, um, in this season of life of where we are as a, an economy, a, a people group, everything. Um, but it was something that I just really didn't enjoy. I got into it for about a year and a half. Um, you know, we did really well with, you know, both of the units that we bought. Um, but it was just draining and it wasn't fun and it's heavy. Assisted it's very heavy. heavy. Yeah. Very heavy. Yeah. And so we ended up selling our interest at the end of the year and then um and kind of transitioned to another avenue, which was the short-term rental side of things, which is a business. So we created businesses within and around it, but at the same time, we also get to take the ability of the appreciation of these properties and the cash flow. So um, I guess to dive in a little bit of what that looks like now and why I'm even staying it longer is because there's a lot of data out there that allows us to see, you know, where you can get the bet, like some of the best cash on cash return. Um, and so some of that data allows us to be in a position where we can buy a property. You know, I have one student who bought a property for like 50, no, $48,000 and the revenue on that property is 57. A thousand a year. I have another student wow. who's close on. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, I have another student, and I can talk about my own my own properties too. But um, uh, one guy, his name's Colton, great one of you know our earlier students. But um, he closed on a property or just recently, um, last month in July, and he bought it for four hundred twenty three thousand, and he is coming out of the gate this month. Um, in August, on he's on pace to bring in twenty thousand dollars for just this month. Um, but throughout the year, he's looking at um, about a hundred. He's projected to make one hundred forty-three thousand. But of what's actually been recorded, um, we're looking at twenty thousand this month. So, uh, folks, these numbers that Michael's talking about, uh, just to put it in historical context, right? Um, if you're in any kind of fund, 
<clears throat> that's throwing off six, seven percent a year, you're you're performing, right? They're performing. You're happy. Everyone's smiling. Like you're you're doing well. Uh, these are staggering returns, and why I was so intrigued. Um, you know, the biggest and best REITs, Michael, uh, for decades, for decades, made money between the margins of you know, trading the, the the pension funds and four caps and five caps, right? Like, you know, that, that's 20 years to get your initial investment back. Your first example was one year they had the initial investment back. Your second example was just shy of three years they have the initial investment back, right? So some of the biggest and best funds out there uh, are trading in those super thin margins. And now here, here comes these opportunities. So I want to make sure that we get to what can my audience do to start this type of a career? My Part of my passion is to take the 25 years of knowledge that I've accumulated and impart it to friends, family, listeners, folks that I come in contact with to help them achieve their goals, right? So how do we talk to the audience about taking the steps, where do we start? What do we do? Yeah. Um, I think the very first step is to, to get clarity, um, clarity exactly on what you as an individual, you know, for your listener, what do you want what do you want your life to look like vision? Like what do you want to look like and draw a picture, you know, write down what that looks like, write down the activities that you're doing, um, you know, write down the things that really make you smile and get really excited about. That's the first and foremost, because that's going to be essentially what's what is fulfilling, right, for you in your life and what you really want to achieve. The next thing is exactly the same format is like, okay, now we need to bring down and make some smart goals, some that specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and and time bound is what that acronym stands for, Um, and essentially patch that towards your vision. Um, and making the line, you know, but with that, you got to find the right vehicle that can bring you there efficiently. And so for most scenarios for like people that we work with are, you know, they want they need to replace their income or their expenses first so that they can actually focus on time on doing the things that either would generate more income or higher rate of returns or, um, you know, spend time with their family, travel, you know, whatever it may be. Um, but I would say to dive deeper into your question, um, what they can do to get started is really essentially just starting there because and really kind of asking, asking yourself out. Now, your vision could look like what you're doing for the next year, next five years, next 10 years. But I want to I, I would also want to encourage you not to think of your goals out three years because so much life happens in three years. Um, and even like, and people will do, what's your five-year goal? What's your 10-year goal? And yeah, that's, that's good to have, but you know, write it with a pencil, not a pen. Um, but I'd say, look what you can do in the next three months. There's a book called 12 week year out there. It's really good. And it really boils down from getting into a position of having your year goals for the company to bring it down to three months. Cause essentially what you can do in one year, a lot of times, most of the time you can do in three months. And so they break it down in three months. And then from there, you work backwards. So get your three-month goal, what you need to do in one month in order to get that three-month goal. And then you look at 
what do you need to do in one week to get that one month goal? Well, within that week, what are the daily habits and primary activities that you need to do in order to achieve for that week and for that month? Because that's what's going to lead you to that three-month goal. <clears throat> and so breaking that down, working backwards is, I'd say, essentially the best way. And if it's short-term rentals is a, is a vehicle um, and real estate is a vehicle in order to help you know get there, you essentially have to plan it out and be realistic, write down numbers. You have to measure yourself. If you're not measuring and inspecting what you expect to happen, it's not going to go well. Um, but you have to essentially have a measuring stick and you have to have not only goals because goals can be great, but they're useless without the habits. Um, so that's what my encouragement would be in order to a good starting place before we even talk about real estate. Yeah. So, uh, and, and Coaching folks will go a, a very long way in helping you with, with that. Many of you that have yep. been with the show for the last couple of years know uh, where I was on coaching, where I now am on coaching. Um, it has profoundly changed every single aspect of my life, business, personal, and I could not possibly have been scaling and doing the things I'm doing without uh, a lot of coaching along the way. So some of what Michael just dropped on you there is extraordinarily insightful stuff that um, without taking those steps first, you, you can pile systems on anyone or anything. If you don't have the proper foundation, the systems aren't worth a damn. Uh, and yep. what Michael's describing is clarity, intentionality, purpose, focus, all of those things you need to have to start the journey, really. So now we've gone through that and uh, I've determined that this is a potential uh, typology I want to explore and I want to invest in. Now what? Yeah, um, before diving into answering that question, I do want to emphasize your remarks about coaching. Um, hands down, like, and I say it this way because some people will get, you know, weird ears when they hear coaching right and they'll think it's a scam or this or that or maybe they do believe in it but they had bad experiences um and I, and I say this like have you ever dated somebody who didn't work out you know like the answer is usually yes well did, are you married and it's like well the answer ends up being yes well it's like obviously okay just because you date someone who's bad who wasn't good for you doesn't mean you want to give up on finding the right person for marriage. And so like, I really say that with coaching, you really be very specific. The reason why I want to start with the specifics of what you want is because that's going to help you find the coach that you want and that you need. And you want to also measure, measure your coach because essentially when they're stop able to provide the value that you need, you should probably essentially find someone who is able to get you to that next level. Um, and they have to have either have a track record of doing it themselves or a track record of them helping other people um, do it really well. One of the two. Um, but to, and so like for you, like, like I've had bad coaches, I've paid $30,000 marks and not be good. I paid 2000 and it was great. I've recently just paid 10,000 a couple months ago and it was amazing and made my money back. I'm actually about to pay the same people another 40,000 in order to continue with what they're doing, um, with my business, because I see a return and it's investing in myself. Now to go to your question, um, for the, 
you found out, yes, short-term rentals, real estate is a good market to dive into, then I would say at that point in time, <clears throat> you're gonna, you, because real estate is so diverse, um, even in the short-term rental space, you need to find the vehicles that's going to get you there um, for what you need, for what essentially what your resources are and what your capabilities are. So what, one of the things we do within our coaching programs, we break that down and seeing like, okay, what are your resources that you currently have available that's easily accessible? Because those are the most fruitful that we can with less. Because um, the reality is people can get money and, and get lend money. And, and if they find a right deal, they can, they can find money for it, right? Um, but the reality is it's, it's also a skill to learn. And there's, there's some resistance in getting to learn that skill well and learn how and learning how to do it well. And so, um, so I would also, I also encourage, Hey, let's, let's start off with the lowest hanging fruit, which is what your resources are. Let's build on that. Um, and then finding out what that is. And then I'd recommend, okay, now we need to look at our data in regards to what data is going to allow us to essentially find. So in our program, so it's hard to kind of differentiate someone from starting out with what I know versus, you know, starting out with if they don't have access to what I have access to for, you know, for example. Um, but cause you hear a lot of people say, you know, and you, and you hear them say, Oh, go invest in, you know, the smoky mountains or in broken bow or in Miami or in, you know, kissing me and like all these places to be honest are really oversaturated and the returns aren't that great. If you're just going to buy a normal property that everyone else has out there, it's just not going to, it's not going to give you the returns you like. Um, but for me, I would say, okay, knowing what I know and knowing what I teach, once you have that established, go and find data. We have access to data within our program, but go and find data to where you can, you know, essentially go into these markets and analyze these markets, learn how to analyze, you know, these markets and then analyze the properties to find, um, which is really, that's the number one skill that's going to really help you out. And I know that's a lot. It's kind of like just really bunched in there, but that's the number one skill that's going to really help you out in regards to finding a good property to, um, essentially accomplish that goal in the short-term rental space because it all starts the number one thing that's going to cause in terms of like your most revenue is location um after location then it goes into the type of product you have you know so how many people it sleeps right so the more people it sleeps typically um the more revenue you can generate then after that, it's the bedroom count. Then it goes into the amenities, you know, what kind of amenities and stuff. Then it goes into the packaging and the lighting and, you know, um, the paint and making it look modern or pretty or whatever that, what, whatever reason people are visiting that location for. Um, but it first starts with the location. If you can get the location right, then that's, that's I'd say, you're 80% there. Um was that helpful? Was that was that good? I'm not yeah, sure it, if that was. It, it absolutely was good. There's a couple of things I want to I want to touch on though. So uh, something you had said right in the beginning that I I just have to emphasize, folks. Michael had said if you have the right deal, you'll find money, and he he kind of went over it because he's clearly been doing this and he's seasoned and polished and he understands what that means. A lot of the folks out there don't, and they're intimidated. I've been in the business for a very long time and I was intimidated, if you have the right deal, the money is available. 
Yes. You're the value. If you have the deal, don't make any mistake about it. You're the value. Investors are frenzied looking for quality opportunities, and it's impossible uh, to fulfill all of the demands of the, the velocity of money is insane, insane at this point in and out of these types of deals. So folks, re please remember that and have that confidence. If you've got the right deal, you will find a syndication partner, a JV partner, or whatever structure you want to you want to pursue. Maybe you just want to have him in his debt, um, but the money will be there. So I wanted to touch on that. Now back to what what you were focusing on as far as uh, there are certain markets, you know, uh, the Starbucks model was, uh, I, I, I don't want to go into the emerging market and pay $12 a foot um, because I know when I'm selling $5 coffees, I can go into the heart of, of New York City and pay $300 a foot and still make my margin, right? But we're not Starbucks. So uh, yeah. what Michael's referencing is... Uh, there are the proven markets and there are anomaly deals that you can step into that are steep discounts to, to the comp. But uh, if you're not in that market, folks, and you're not seasoned, trust me, you're not going to go on a foreclosure website that says that they've got, you know, the, the leads and, and step into Kissimmee and buy killer Airbnbs. The realtors have been through it. The builders have been through it. The Airbnb guys have been through it. The banks have been through it. The underwriter, everybody has been through that already before it ever makes it there. So what Michael's proposing, I love, is find the niche, find that market that uh, has some opportunity, and then start to assess the physical elements of the property in that market. I just want to spend a few minutes, Michael, on what, what should the market have? What should we be looking for? when we're, we're saying, is this a good Airbnb market or not? Or short-term short rental? I know it's not Airbnb, is not the always end-all term, but yeah. where, where should we be looking? Yeah, totally what you mean. Um, I'd say that's a great question to ask. Um, so we essentially look on three factors, and those three factors are areas that where it's high demand, um, high revenue growth, and high cash-on-cash cash return. So typically, how would you know, right? You're like you're not really knowing, like off the bat, of how to get markets like that just presented to you. So where do you go to find that? Um, well, we like to call these like Disneyland properties, but you know, by the way, because Disneyland does a really good job at creating that. They create demand to sell certain things. They create revenue growth by adding on new attractions every year, and they have a high cash on cash return because the value of one person entering that that place that you know or a, a, or a disneyland it's not however much the ticket costs it's that then ticket it's the water bottles that they buy at concession stands it's the food they eat it's the alcohol they you know they drink it's the vacations they buy for the next one it's you know everything essentially that they goes into there so that dollar per amount per customer goes up and up and up um so it ends up being like i think maybe two thousand dollars per customer is is what um what they get for them, you know, from them entering in. Now, um, so we essentially look for Disneyland properties and with the concept of the demand, revenue growth, and cash on cash return. Now, what we've seen in the areas of which um, that all of these places we invest in have in common is that one, they're drivable. They're drivable to another large area of people. Um, 
And two, to be honest, some of these best markets haven't, haven't been places where you can necessarily fly into all the time. Um, but there's a reason why they go there. So it's usually a lot more known to the local people, um, but not so much known to people across the United States. And so different things that we've seen is like horse racetracks is one. Um, we've seen like, you know, venues like the one in Ohio is, is by like the reason why it attracts so many people and has strong demand is because there's a, a Cedar Point or something of that nature. It's like a place you go visit, carnival, that kind of thing. There's some sort of attraction, right? Um, there's a reason why people, there's a, an, another one is um, skiing and, and snowboarding. So it's, we built, there's some places that are well known locally, but not necessarily across the United States. Um, so there's always these little reasons why people will go vacation. Now it's, it's a, it's a double-edged sword because, you know, typically the reason why you get such high demand in those numbers is because there's an attraction or something local, like, uh, even like Joshua, you know, Joshua park, which you've probably heard about. Um, but these like national parks where people like to stay in these areas, but the reason they get high demand, high revenue growth and high cash on cash return is because there's not a whole bunch of industries there providing jobs for people. So families aren't moving there, driving those homes and those costs up, which double-edged sword because one, you're not paying as much for a home, a single family home, but at the same time, there's also not a whole lot of security if something were to happen to that, say one thing that is causing that demand to go up which is a risk you have to weigh out and willing to take or not. Um, but all these other areas, they're, they're traveling there to, for something specific. Like on the horse track races, I mean, one of my guys, that's where he invested. And it's he's getting $20,000 this month because of that very fact, because it's a high demand season for that. Wow. Um, so that's what we've seen to be probably the most valuable areas. So geographical elements, um skiing lakes water um horse tracks perhaps golfing amusement parks national parks state parks yep. uh, some sort of draw and uh the fact that the locals know it but uh the rest of the world doesn't quite know it yet is that's exactly. the rub that's the loop right okay. so and folks yep. there's a lot of markets like this uh -huh. uh, we are we're, are going so so deep and heavy into a market in New Mexico that we have utterly fallen in love with a magical place um, that mm -hmm. we're excited to share it with the world candidly, but these opportunities are out there. So, uh, and because there isn't the job base, right. That Michael's talking about the cost of housing has to be reasonable. So yep. you, you're able to pick up these homes Three bedroom homes sometimes for 40, 50, 80, $100,000. And they're a short drive to a racetrack or to a famous ski resort or to a renowned lake or to a, a renowned national park. Uh, so then, then, then we get into the, I guess, the nuts and the bolts of, and, and you, does your course uh, offer um, or your coaching offer like models and calculators and ways to, to kind of back your way in to really hone in on okay. this? Do you guys go that far? We do. We go very, very deep, but yes, we go there. Okay. So, um, cause as we're talking through this and, and the reason selfishly I wanted to 
have you on now, uh, is we're acquiring a number of the assets in this this particular town, and the Airbnb opportunity is is massive, and and not many folks are doing it, and those that are are not doing it really well. So uh, selfishly, I wanted to learn what can I gain if 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 we're able to subscribe after this and and jump on board, um, yeah. and I want to be able to come out invest ready, right? I want to be able to come out yeah. knowing, all right, here's the market. Here's how I can figure these things out. So um, you're going to walk people through, I guess, one bedroom yield, two bedroom yield, three bedroom yield. The, it, it matters, right? Bathrooms, condition. But a lot of folks don't have the know-how. They don't have yeah. access to contractors. They don't have access mm-hmm. to designers. So how do you start pulling this stuff together? So a couple things with that, like in specific to our program, we have all of that and we leverage teams on the ground for other places. So, um, for example, one of my first students, her name is Amber. She's actually our main designer and she builds out all the furniture. She's amazing at what she does. Um, so she got her first property in, in, in Virginia. And I'm not shy to share my locations because most people just don't take action unless they have accountability and or they have enough drive to do it. And if they do, good for them, go. Um, That's why in our coaching program, we're really big on accountability and we're really big on telling you next step to do it, you know, and come back to us when you do it kind of thing. Um, But regards to her, she bought a property listed for 270. I think she offered around 300 for it. She got it, you know, she's on track to make $85,000 for that property. Great property. But that's where she started. And now she's actually designing all of our properties, my properties that we buy. We just started this investment firm to kind of go to your point, or we're testing it out, the theory, um, about these hedge funds buying these properties and doing that. So we're looking into a position now raising funds to buy these properties because these guys who raise capital, which I do very little of that, they are big time capital raisers. And they dive deep into the ability of like knowing how to do that. So, cause they didn't believe that we're able to find these cash on cash returns. And so our first one that we're partnering on and making this happen is like a, it's ridiculous. It's like 75% cash on cash. Um, we can get into that property later. I have no, no problem um, talking about the numbers on that, but <clears throat> um, the, but I digress. I apologize. Um, going into, it was the details of what's, oh yeah, accumulating all your contractors and people that you'd be able to, to utilize to essentially to have your short-term rental run well. So once you get the property under contract, it's out of state, right? It's nowhere near you. Um, you have to find ways to be able to manage it, find ways to be able to furnish it, all that kind of stuff. Um, most of what I done was like, essentially my first few projects were rehab projects. Um, and so I had a, I, I did it on my own. I called a whole bunch of contractors and found people you know, that I trust and built it out that way. And I used them and a realtor to be my eyes. The, now I have a guy who's, who manages projects like in Singapore and he manages all my projects. He's my, my project manager. Um, and so he does all that work. So he finds people boots on the ground and has all these forms, documents, and systems in order that it goes smoothly and picture verifications with a third-party source to make sure we're doing the things that um, that essentially are um, what you know what needs to be done. Um, the next part of that is we have designers virtually come in, take pictures, do video walkthroughs from people on the ground, and they build out furniture with Amber. 
Amber designs it. She sources it from like five to 10 different, you know, places that she can order it, make sure it gets all ordered in one week and gets it delivered there. I have contractors on the ground. Usually the best ones are stagers, but they're also costly. Um, you can fly down near, you know, there yourself and set it up, but stagers, they'll cost anywhere from a thousand to 2000 bucks. You can get furniture movers and get a design template with PDFs and have those furniture movers do it all for 400 bucks. I've done that too. Um, so, you know, I've done both. Um, I'd say one's cheaper, but one's a lot more efficient. <laughs> um, you know, and sometimes you're going into these markets, speed is key. So you want to like, if you go one week longer or two weeks longer, that could be anywhere from 500 to 5,000 bucks that you lost um, because you don't have it on the market. Um, so those are the little things that we have in terms of like ma making these deals happen. It's just by networking on the ground. But there are so many other things to consider too, is when you're purchasing that property, when's the high seasonality so you can get most of your money back, right? When do you need to start advertising that property and when people book? Because some people will book 30 days or, or within a week of that, like, or some people will book 140 days in advance. Mm. Well, the markets that do that, you need to make sure you're marketing it 140 days to capture that bulk of people who are doing. And so just to give you an example, the property that we're working on right now, we have under contract and, you know, we're getting it all set up to close on. Well, their high season is in January. They're projected to make $23,000 in January, $22,000 in February and so on. Um, so as you can tell, it's probably, it's either a high winter market or it's, uh, for the root, you know, for the reason to escape winter or for the reason of skiing and snowing. It's either one of those two, usually what produces that amount during January because most places don't produce that. Um, so one of the things that we have to do for that, that property, I said 140, I think this one, they, they do about four months in advance is when 50% of the people will book for that market. Wow. Um, so we have to be working with our virtual designer and stager to have that property advertised next month, even though we won't have any furniture in it. We won't have, um, it won't be done with rehab yet. We'll probably just be getting close to closing on that property. Um, but we have a virtual team coming in so that we can start listing it on Airbnb before we even close it, it on the property, because we want to make sure we are capturing that bulk, because if we don't capture that, that means we're losing out on that, on that money. So we're capturing January starting in September, because that's when the average person will book for that market. So those are things to consider when you're entering in these markets, not just the people you have on the ground, but it's, why are people going? When do they book? How do they book? Um, what platforms are they normally going on? So all these things are little things to consider. And you're, you're able to handle all, I mean, do you go that far? Like if, if, you know, we had assets and we said, Hey, Michael, we're not in this, this business. Um, how far do you go? Will you handle the whole the whole thing here obviously the fees are commensurate but is that something sure. you do i do yeah so we're actually doing it right now in another property for someone else in reno um which she hasn't signed on the dotted line yet but you know 
because of the of my relationships and thus me figuring out how to do this, I essentially built a team and they're all willing to work. Um, now they're contracted um, and I make a fee and they charge their own fee. Um, but through connecting through me, I, I essentially give them, I hand them over to you. Um, and then they will go and essentially build all that out, um, gives you quotes, gives you ideas. And because they work hand in hand with me, they know kind of the expectations of what people are going to make or what they're going to do or what they need. Um, because they've done it on our properties and they've done it on my students' properties. So it's like, they kind of know the drill. So now like we're looking to expand our management company into these markets that we, we want to get into. So um, that can provide higher rates of returns. So now we're working with different homeowners and people who are wanting to manage or do stuff down there. We're looking essentially to find these people and partner with them and we're helping you know giving them a discount at least on the management side just to enter in that market but they'll use our services for the furniture building and um you know designing it um rehabbing it everything um even if they're local there but they're using our guy who's not local but he knows how to get the job done that that's it's so exciting the the, the tools that have become available and again uh because I'm, I'm experienced in the real estate field, I'm, I'm listening to and hanging on some words. You had said earlier, um, you know, contractors, sourcing people on the ground, taking pictures. I've heard that a thousand times. This is the first time I heard then independently verified pictures. That's mm -hmm. the first time I've heard that ever. So, uh, right, because the, the contractors there's there's ways to take pictures and there's ways to take pictures we're having a third party go in and and check to make sure that what we're seeing is what we're getting i love it i love the opportunities there uh to connect with people through technology and 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 really be able to run these things as if you're there uh if you're an expert right uh yes. which is was why you you're doing what you're doing so do you guys get involved and do you touch on uh the arbitrage opportunities at all where folks are are leasing and then you know yeah i mean i don't necessarily it's not my focus would i take one up sure but i don't only because i believe in actually helping people and i don't mean that in any bad way arbitrage people are great they need to, they're doing a service um but there's two things i believe in home ownership so I want to encourage people to homeownership because if you don't take it, take advantage of the appreciation, the tax benefits of owning a home, it takes just as much work to learn how to do it with no money down than it does creating a business and doing an arbitrage model. So, but that's one factor. Um, another reason my focus is just own, like focus on owning because you have leverage there. Um, but the other factor is um, I enjoy helping people make money. And so on the management side, because management and arbitrage are very similar. You're doing the same exact things. The only difference is who's getting the, who's taking the most risk and who's taking the bigger cut. Um, so obviously the person taking the most risk is taking the bigger cut. So some people, great. Hey, I want a stable long-term tenant. Give me what I, you know, a rent of $1,500, you know, per month. And you can do, you can sublease it and do whatever you want. So that's the arbitrage model where that guy will come in and arbitrage it. They pay him $1,500 and they rent it out on short term rental it for Airbnb. That's great. Um, but they're taking most of the risk and they're also, they're also um, you know, 
taking more of the money. But for me, I like to educate. I like to prepare. I like to equip people. Hey, if you want to make this money, you can. You're taking the risk in doing it, which I think is worth it. Life is nothing but risk. You know, being alive is a risk. So I say do it. Um, and but also we're just taking a cut and managing it to its best performance while giving you the peace of mind that we're asset managers, not property managers. We, we run it like an asset in terms of all the valuables inside. Um, we make sure, take pictures of, do valuable audits. We do security. We do optimizing revenue. So it's one thing everyone always talks about. Yeah, optimize revenue, um, which typically they'll go with Price Labs, which is great. I, I use Price Labs. Um, or... They go with smart BNB. You know, if you're a professional investor, you want to utilize these pricing softwares. But I personally think that's not enough. We take another step in the right direction. We like to compare to our markets and we do a weekly check every Monday. We like to look at how our properties and how they're performing. And so we'll compare against the market because that's probably the best tell. Um, and we'll either add things to our listing to improve its value or we'll price it differently to improve its value for occupancy. Um, and we'll, the occupancy numbers changes from market to market. So we won't have one occupancy fits all. Um, so we'll base it because we know we can make the highest dollar amount for a specific occupancy. Occupancy is very heavy. So we want it occupied, but we don't take that price down until it's like one week, um, depending on the market. It all, every market it's a little different, but. Um, but essentially like that's, I guess our model when it comes to management, but that's to say, I guess also in the whole arbitrage thing, I know I went off on a tangent there again, I apologize. Um, but my, my focus is essentially, um, either helping people make money is what my point was or helping them own and arbitrage is it helps one person make money, which is fine. It's a business. Um, but it's it's something that we kind of shy away from. Yeah, and and I, I appreciate that because it, it it there there is there are some disingenuous things that are occurring in that side of the industry, and there are folks that are not quite understanding what sublet means, and yeah. they didn't sign up for um, what they're getting on the other side of it, right? So I think that that I I love it. I love the the the. The focus on ownership, uh, building equity, that's how we, we build generational wealth, right? So I know we're coming up against uh, a hard stop here. Just two more quick things, if I can. So legislative threats, um, how impactful has it been? Uh, where do you see this going? Are you guys keeping an eye on this stuff as it's rolling out from city to city? Absolutely. Yeah. So one of the things we love doing is we love investing with places that already have restrictions, especially if they've had a long history of being a vacation market, because then it's usually doesn't change much. There's mm. they already have their thoughts in place. And if you can get a permit, then great. Um, another thing to do is focus on zoning. Um, you know, if you're in a commercial or mixed use, you know, zoning, you can operate a business and short term rental hotel. That, that's a business. You should get a license for it. And so you're protected in those areas when you already know the rules to play. The places to be wary of is the places that are new to this and don't have rules established. Um, and so what you want to do before going in there is you want to call the city or call the county, whatever governing entity is over that area. 
and you want to ask them, hey, can I have in writing your restrictions when it comes to short-term rentals, tourism, um, lodging, whatever? And you find out if they have anything written. A lot of times they don't have things written in these newer markets. Um, sometimes they do. So once you know the rules you can play by, that's when you know how to make how to really make good money. But if they don't have any rules, you should be wary, but you can still make good money for time. Um, you know, and so, and you want to see it written because I've, 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 I've even gone, gone to cities and they say, yeah, we don't allow short-term rentals in R1 zoning areas. I'm like, great. Can I see your zoning and your written rules on that? And they didn't really, it, the language was there to a degree, but it didn't specifically say you can't do this activity in, in the R1 zoned area. So for that very reason, I took the risk and I can, I can say, cause if they ever, if the city went against us in any way, shape or form, um, you know, and this is me pushing the envelope a little bit, hold up in court. It's very difficult to enforce something that you don't have specifically written. If it's yep. not written, you can't enforce it. doesn't mean it can't change. And I, and I think the local, the more local it gets, the harder it is, but HOAs will have something in writing. I stay away from HOAs. Well, not I'll stay away from HOAs. I stay away from condo. HOAs because condos can change the dime of a hat unless you own the majority of the condo. You don't really have essentially the control and they're the quickest ones that can flip. Cities take a lot longer. Counties take a lot longer. Love it. Okay. Um, where do we start if we're uh, have no experience and we're looking to just get started and we need some of that base core coaching? Uh, are we pointing them to STR? Yeah. Yeah. You could, um, if that's, if that's where you want to go, absolutely. We have a, you know, a coaching program as well as a mentorship and mastermind that's, um, www.strlegacies.com slash home or www.strlegacies.com period. I think that's it. Um, those are the two ways of getting some information about me or information about our program. Um, we're still revamping a whole bunch of different things. We've been around for about a year. Um, but it's been fun. And escape and stay, uh, is that for a more seasoned investor? Is that, you know, have the asset already and looking to have someone manage it? Yeah, not necessarily. If it's, you have the asset, you're looking for someone to manage it. Um, yeah, escapeandstay.com is how you can get there. Um, and then, um, yeah, that's our management company that, you know, we own and we have. And yeah, it's a good asset. Works good. All right. Uh, Michael, this has been really informative, uh, a lot of value. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to kind of take it from A all the way through to Z here. Super, super, super valuable information. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Best of luck in, in the endeavor. And I'm going to reach out to you on that market I was telling you about offline and yeah, man. get something cooking. Absolutely. Do so. I'd love to give any, any words of advice or anything I, I can get. For all you. right, man. Thank you so much. Michael Porsche, everyone. Stay safe. Thank you.